the Aristocrats Soccer Podcast, the elite podcast in all of podcasting. Jake, how are you this week? Great, Dave. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. Aristocrats Soccer Podcast. Soccer, football, aristocrats. Got to get our little catchphrases in. Uh, so what, did, what feedback did you get from our interview from last week with Matt Hedges that seemed to go over really well? And as we're recording, this just came out uh, yesterday. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I took away from it was how many parents of young youth players that I've connected with, how interested they've been in the podcast in terms of like the lessons that it could teach their 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 kids and their and the youth players because they they listen to the first podcast that we did they listen also to the hedges interview and they say this is almost like a training session for my kid because they're learning all these different life life lessons whether it be persistence or like grinding working hard or or just different stories that matt shared or that we shared the previous episode just how how important it is for a youth player to have a strong mentality. And, and that was the biggest takeaway. I, I think people will be interested in the stories. Obviously every, every player that we're going to interview will have their own special story and unique story, but the lessons that, um, that the viewer takes from that or the listener takes from those stories is, is so important. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, I think that's basically just why we are the most sophisticated and elite <laughs> of soccer podcasts. To put it simply, um, so yeah, the Hedges interview went great. You know, just getting a chance to listen to it myself, uh, definitely found it to be a worthwhile listen. You know, hopefully, you folks out there uh, will listen to it. You know, I saw the SC Dallas plug in the bit. Uh, some of the supporter groups, you would probably know them a bit better than I would with Greenville. Uh, definitely plugging it. Um, yeah, the Reedy, some of our friends, the Reedy River Ride. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and also the club, you know, and, and thanks to Greenville Triumph as well for, you know, helping to promote it. Um, you know, so both were for, our first two episodes dropped this week and uh, as we're recording this now on Thursday. And uh, so our, our this episode will probably be coming out next week. And um, so the Hedges one, great. It was great to get them. And, we're you know, we're in the process of getting more great guests. And uh, before we touch on that, though, I just wanted to touch a little bit on – uh, big week for for you and for Greenville uh, getting into the final of uh, USL uh, League One. You just want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, here at Greenville, we've had a we've had a great season. Honestly, we've played thirteen, we've won ten and tied one, and then the two that we lost were both in the same week at the end of August. So we've really been extremely consistent, um, getting results week in week out. And this past week, we clinched the f uh, the final. Um, there's 11 teams in the league this year and the top two make the final. Uh, so we clinched a spot in the top two and now we're five points away with three games left, um, into clinching a home, home game in that final, which would, which would be awesome. Uh, I'm not sure how many fans we can get just in terms of the social distancing regulations and all that, but it'd be, it'd be awesome to have a final at home in front of our home fans, in front of our supporters group. And yeah, these last three games now are, are hugely important. And it's just, it means it's been a crazy year for everyone, but for our club and the way we've handled it and the way the leadership of our club has handled it between the owners and, and our, our, the gaffer, John Harks, I think he's done an excellent job. I think one huge thing that people don't really realize is when a lot of the teams during the quarantine, when they first came back to training, 
they were going hundred miles an hour. They were doing fitness days. They were doing this and they were doing, doing that. And it was like a two month time frame where you couldn't do contact training. And I think a huge thing, a huge part of our success is we just worked on the small details. We worked on crossing and finishing. We worked on passing drills, touches, but we didn't crush our bodies because it was too far away from the season. And I think John and the rest of his staff, Alex Blackburn, Brian Mackey, they do deserve a huge amount of credit for that because I think we're fresh as we ever been. And it's, that's not common this late in the season. And I think we've been able to exploit other teams just because of how hard we work and how much our energy levels are incredible. Uh, so to clinch that final appearance uh, this week was awesome. And we're, but we're not done yet. We've got a lot more work to do. What, what did it feel like when you got, when you found out, uh, was it, was it comparable to maybe in the past when you, when you uh, clinched like uh, cup final with like Galway? I think no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you a great story uh, just because we were at a point where we expected to be in the final and we were kind of a, a good bit ahead of everybody. We want to pick up a result every week. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't some huge accomplishment because quite frankly, we made the final last year. It's, it's, it's something that we have to do. It's the first step. You have to qualify. Uh, but we made the final last year and lost. So the goal this year is, is to make the final again. And as we did and, and to get over the line and, and something that's hugely important with our club is it's built on performance. The culture is performance and it's not necessarily the result, but at the same time as competitors, you don't want to go to a final and lose. So we're looking forward to that date a few weeks from now. I, I guess what I'm just trying to think of like as your past experiences and then comparing it to your soccer and having one promotion with Galway and then comparing it now, you know, and, and looking at, you know, where you're at with USL League One, uh, I mean, it's got to be an awesome, amazing accomplishment. But just think of how different it would be without getting too far into the uh, promotion relegation debate. Imagine now if you're in a final playing for promotion to the next level up. Uh, be different gravy, Dave. I, we, we can do a whole podcast on the promotion relegation argument. But being a part of that in Ireland, that was the best night of my career, for sure. Uh, winning promotion from the second division to the top division in Ireland with Galway. And if that was the case here, just, I mean, even if it was just between USL League One and the USL Championship, I think that would make the world a difference. And I think it would, it would incentivize players, both on the top end of League One and the bottom end of the championship, to put in the, to put in the performances at the end of the season. And, the, I mean, the, the incentive is still there. You want to win the championship. Uh, you want to be successful, but that little extra motivation where you can be like, all right, next year I can go play in USL championship if I win tonight or if I win the league. I think, I think it's something that'll come though. I think it'll come in, in a few years down the line. Okay. Well, yeah, again, we don't want to go too far down that road. So the road we're traveling this week is uh, through Canada and a country you're familiar with. And we're going through, uh, Edmonton and, and Calgary with the Zebby brothers. Uh, really excited to have two uh, top uh, top players, elite players, uh, and as well as two guys that you're quite familiar with. Yeah, they're both great guys. They have a level of professionalism, and they were just great guys to be around. That was something that I took from Edmonton. The, the on-the-field stuff was very up and down, but the guys that I met there – so many of them I still keep in, in contact with. And that's not always the case in this game because you go from one club one year to the, to the next, you're playing for someone else. So it's tough to maintain the, those relationships. 
but Alan and Bruno, who we're going to be speaking to, and then a few others um, from Edmonton, I, I still, still speak, to, speak to fairly regularly. Uh, so I'm really excited to get them on the podcast, get their, get their insight into Canadian soccer. Uh, Alan has a little bit of insight as well into the NASL days. Uh, we speak of European trials. Uh, what else? A little bit of Canadian youth national team stuff. So there's, there's a lot of good stuff on there. I'm sure you're looking forward to it, Dave. Am I right? Yeah, very excited. You know, uh, we we got to see more this year. We got to see some actually. I I'd never seen it before. The Canadian uh, Premier League uh, on on was it on Fox or being sports? I couldn't remember. And um, you know, just having more time in my hands, and also uh, with the pandemic to be able to watch games, and then uh, with the changes in in the coverage here in the U.S. is more of the leagues and I've uh, gone to streaming services, less of, uh, you know, the leagues that are on, on these uh, networks with cable. So the availability is there for the Canadian league. And it was just fun to get a chance to watch some of those games and kind of get a sense of where they're at and how it stacks up to, uh, you know, games here in the U S and other parts of the world. Yeah. hundred percent. So without further ado, should we get to this interview with these two brothers? I think it's time. Three of the Aristocrats Soccer Podcast. Uh, your host, Dave Harris and Jake Keegan here. This week, we have some extra special guests. Um, Bruno Elite, Dibi, Alan Elite Dibi. guests, Jake. What's that? Unique Elite guests? guests. <laughs> okay. And um, I played with Bruno um, back in my FC Edmonton days. Or sorry, I played with Alan back in my <laughs> FC Edmonton. And Bruno was a regular at training um, when he was – um, back uh, during his college and PDL days. So we know both of them very well. They're great guys. And I think they'll be great guests for the podcast. You guys can listen to a little bit of their background, where they grew up and where they are today. So Alan, I know you're very talkative, so you can start us <laughs> off. Uh, can you guys just tell the viewers where you guys were born and how you guys came over to Canada? Okay, well, yeah. Well, first thing for having us. Uh, yeah, I'm born in France. I uh, moved to Montreal when I was nine, um, started playing there a little bit, and then I uh, moved to Edmonton when I was 15, and then, um, yeah, that's about it, and then they yeah, eventually started playing, but I to, I'll let Bruno talk, too. Yeah, so um, Alan's, uh, old, Alan's the older one, uh, he's two years older, so again, uh, he was nine, I was seven when we moved to Quebec, and obviously we've been playing in France, uh, but it was never... Uh, Organized, never competitive, so it was just uh, uh, out of love for the sport. And then uh, in Quebec, that's when we started playing uh, a bit more competitively, organized, uh, organized soccer. And then we moved to uh, Edmonton. And um, for me, it's basically where I made uh, more of my name for myself, definitely when, I, when we moved to Edmonton. Yeah. And that's, that's all. I mean, it's awesome. You guys just have been in that kind of soccer back Paris up until you were nine, right, Alan? And, and for you were. Yeah. Seven, so, yeah, so you, you got a little bit of a taste of it before you went to, to hockey country. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But did you guys grow up? So when you when you moved down over to Edmonton, uh, did you guys always play for the FC Edmonton Academy? Oh, uh, no. So I started playing uh, the like amateur club, like with Extreme. Uh, I played for them for three years. And then the, the academy opened when I was, I think, 17. Me and Bruno went to the tryouts. We made it. And then played together in the academy for like a year or two. Yeah. Yeah, for me, for me, it's also about the same thing, played for uh, a youth club. 
And uh, it was one of the most uh, successful clubs in Edmonton. So it's called uh, Juventus, uh, Edmonton Juventus. And um, basically, there's uh, when you win the league, you go to provincials. When you win provincials, you go to nationals and so on. And so we always had a strong group where we made nationals pretty much every year. We could qualify for it. And we were lucky enough to win it when we were 14. So that was a bit of uh, my background growing up. So um, I was kind of well known in my age group. in Edmonton, and then uh, like Alan came to the trouts, and then uh, it was more of a combine where they invited a bunch of players who they felt had a chance of being part of the academy, and then we both uh, were part of the 16 that were select- selected. Yeah, when I was over in Edmonton, I I really respected the uh, the depth of quality in the in the youth program. I mean, obviously I've never met Alfonso Davies, but he grew up in in the Edmonton area, 13, 14, and then yeah. meet Sean. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, when I like I when I came to Edmonton, I had no idea what it was going to be about. I knew it was like the northernmost place, over a million people, and I was, like, are there even going to be players here? They just all, <laughs> all going to be foreigners. But it was really cool to kind of see how yeah. many talented players that were in Edmonton. So you guys are good. Yeah, I think, I think it's uh it's it's surprising because I think I feel like a lot of people uh, almost kind of look down in Edmonton. Uh, because if you look at Canada, you're thinking Vancouver, Toronto, Quebec, those are the three main areas. And to be fair, there's more good players there usually. But at the same time, uh, Alberta is a close fourth, and sometimes they're, they're even better than the, the top three. So it's interesting. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so now I guess we'll move on a little bit to Alan, you – at what age did you start going on trials over in Europe? And I think you went, you went on trials with Rangers and Lee. There were some big clubs in there, right? Yeah. So actually, you went on trial before that. So I went on trial when I was 15, 15, yeah. 16. I, went, I actually went to uh, England first. Mm-hmm. So I went to Ipswich. Uh, Ipswich went well, but then there, there was some, like, background problems, paper problems that didn't so it didn't end up working out for me. So I came back home. Uh, and then later on, yeah, I went to, um, so I made the U20, the U20 national, national team. And at that time, uh, FCM offered me a contract. Uh, but I thought, because back then the NSL, like North American soccer, NSL wasn't that great, right? So I was looking at Europe. And uh, yeah, so I talked to the club, I t- asked them, um, you know, can, can you guys give me a chance to maybe go on trial? And then maybe if it doesn't work, come back, right? Uh, things happen. They get upset. They, they, they pulled, pulled away the, the offer. So then I ended up going to, um, yeah, I ended up going to Leeds first. Didn't work, didn't work out, went to Rangers. I got injured. Things didn't work out. And then I ended up staying in England for like a year. And then I came back to FC Edmonton. And yeah, crazy story. But <laughs> yeah, and then I ended up signing for FC Edmonton. Which was the club that you were close to signing with? Do you mind sharing? Uh, Ipswich. Well, there's two. So there's Ipswich when I was 15. Um, it went well. I was there for like a week. It went well, but then um, at that time I was in, in the program called the NTC. So it's like the National Training Center, like the best kids in the city kind of train together. And uh, they were just asking about me, my, about my information, like um, like how I was doing and stuff like that. And um, yeah, Sean Fleming, the coach kind of sent them an email asking them like, yeah, how I'm doing. And then the club got scared because obviously with England, like in England, you need to turn papers and it's different over there, right? So. The club has scared a little bit. It told me to kind of just figure my papers and then come back. And then that kind of never happened. It was such a weird situation. 
So, yeah, I ended up coming back. And then Rangers, I did well. They wanted me to stay, but then I got injured. So then they told me to – so that was towards the end of the season. And then they told me to come back for preseason. So that's, that was the plan. So that's why I stayed in, in London. And then um, somehow my agent just stopped replying to me. He stopped – like, he just ghosted me, right? So then I don't know. It was kind of – it was a weird situation. I tried to contact the club, but it didn't, didn't work out. I tried to go out to other trials. didn't work out. So – I don't know. I don't know if it's bad luck or just whatever, but yeah. Agents are clubs. They yeah. Pardon? yeah, you just agree. Another player that they're also yeah. kind of club. Well, I mean, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Because at that time, you wouldn't have signed a first team contract. Would you have? You would sign kind of a youth kind of development contract, or what would have? Yeah, well, it's probably going to would, would be like with the. I think it was under twenty one, under twenty one, or like the not the first team, but the, like the second kind of team. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been a great opportunity for you, but it's that just that's in the game, right? Yeah, just that part of it. Uh, so, Bruno, did you end up going on any of those kind of similar trials, or did you just kind of go? Yeah, straight? I uh, I got lucky enough to go to one trial. So, um, me and my brother both went to uh, Gingon. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Second second division team uh, in France, and um, it was it was three hours away from Paris in train. And obviously, when you're under 16, uh, unless you're very, very good and you play with the U16s, if you're under 16, there's no residency program. So you got to make sure that you go back home on a weekend. And then if you're 16, it's, there's a full residency program where you can stay the entire week. And obviously, they feed you and everything. And then uh, it, went, it went well for me. And um, the coaches were, were happy with me, and they actually wanted to sign me. So that was played out. But unfortunately, uh, Alan got injured. So yeah, um, <laughs> it didn't work out for me because he got injured. Yeah, always stuck by So I was kind of banking on Alan uh, making it so I could stay with him over the week, but it didn't work out. But that was basically my only trial ever. And then I also had one um, at Whitecaps too when we were still in the USL. And um, that one was disappointing because I came in and I was one of the better players there, actually. Even with they had, they had some first team players trained there, and uh, I was really uh, I was playing very well. Uh, me and Dominic Dominic Zator from Cavalry was there too, and we were two of the better players there. And then uh, when it was the end of the trial, they uh, approached me and said, um, "Sorry, we don't we don't we don't need any players in your position." So um, it was a bit frustrating because they flew me out there and everything, and it was like, "Why would you bring me in?" if um, you didn't need that position. But it was still a good experience, and yeah. What would you guys – sorry, go on, go on, Dave. Yeah, just a quick question, um, uh, and, then, and then go back to Jake. But uh, I was just wondering how you guys got um, identified uh, for the trials, like what the process was. It seems, seems really good, you know. It seems like the scouting is, 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 is pretty advanced, and you guys are getting – opportunities with some really good clubs over in Europe? Uh, for me, for me, and I'm sure that will be the same thing, it, it comes into connections, right? Um, it's, we don't have that many connections, but we still had a decent amount. And obviously when you have a, a European passport, it's easier to uh, go on trials uh, in Europe. So uh, it was a bit of, uh, of, of contacts and uh, connections that got us those, uh, those uh, opportunities. Yeah, I just... People, coaches that we knew, kind of new agents, you know, and obviously with the passports, it's a lot easier to kind of go on trial. So, yeah, connections and agents, pretty much. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah. What would you guys say you took away from those kind of, I guess we'll call them failed experiences with trials? Um, for me, I kind of just kind of realized the level wasn't far off, especially at the youth level. You know, like I could always go to sessions and compete. Like I was never one of the worst players. But at the same time, I also felt that if you want to make it, you have to be better than what they have, you know? So, yeah, it was kind of just a reality check. Just like, yeah, I'm definitely doing the right things. I'm good enough to actually be in that environment. But then I need to work harder, obviously, to kind of just be better, right? Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that's the main takeaway for me. Yeah, for me, it's a bit of the same. Uh, for me, it's uh, if you're not one of the top five players, you're not, you're not making it. It's just as easy as that, as simple as that. Um, if you're one of the, let's say, uh, if you're in the middle of the pack, yes, they appreciate you and they like you, but at the end of the day, they don't need you because they have players in, in the area where you have to spend money for it and they'll just sign those players. So when you go to trials, you got to make sure that you stand out because at the end of the day, if you don't stand out, you just, you just, you just won't make it. And then it's all about consistency. Once, once you're there, you got to make sure that you earn your spot because um, we've all been there as players. When we see someone coming as a, tri uh, as a trialist, um, it kind of like upsets about the balance, especially when you don't know them very well, and especially if they play your position. You know what I mean? So when you play position, you feel a bit threatened, and you want to make sure that uh, <laughs> they don't take your spot. So it's one of those. Do you think that, or well, just from my experiences, like it's there's so many times with a trial that people get so down, and they just they they're like. Uh, so-and-so team didn't want me. FC Edmonton didn't want me. Maybe in your case, uh, Bruno, Vancouver Whitecaps didn't want me. And they, and they kind of they take time to kind of feel bad for themselves. Uh, how important do you think it is to have a strong mentality and, and just say, yeah, this guy doesn't want me. This coach doesn't think I'm good enough. But I'm on to the next one. And, and hopefully down the road, somebody will give you a chance. For me, for me um, I take it personally when the type of stuff happens. Especially because I'm, I'm, I'm honest with myself. I know whenever I don't perform and I know when I perform. So if I didn't perform and uh, they let me go, no problem. Sure, I can feel down for a little bit, but then I move on, right? But if I play very well and they let me go and I know I'm better than what they have, uh, I kind of get offended and I don't get down myself. I just make sure that I prove myself. And then at the end of the day, I can be like, you know what? Like you guys were wrong and I was right. So it motivates me more than anything. Yeah, I remember this off Sorry, I yeah. remember this off season, Bruno, and you kind of had that same vibe, and I, I, I loved it. I respect that, and I love that. Exactly. Uh, but go on, Alan. Yeah. No, yeah, for me it's the same thing. Um, this in this sport, obviously, there's so there's a lot more failures than success. I think, I believe, anyways. So it just it just builds a character, and it's just like like Bruno said, it's just you kind of use it to push yourself to to work harder to get better. But yeah, I don't know, it's just. It's just motivation, you know, it's, motiva it's motivation and just it's failure, but you learn from them and you kind of keep pushing and that's, that's it. Yeah. You guys are teaching the youth that, right, at TWP? Try to, anyways. For those of us not on the inside, what is TWP, guys? Uh, it's, a, it's a soccer company that I started, I started with uh, Tommy Amiobi, Morris Sassio, and uh, Carson Smith. Uh, the the ex-teammates teammates of mine, and then uh, unfortunately three of them left. So right now it's me, myself, uh, Tommy Amiobi, and Adam Ortoxi just running it. So we're doing like one-on-one -on -one training. We're doing uh, group sessions, 
and whatever um, teams need extra coaching, we go there and just help the community and with the coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Losing Carson Smith was probably addition by subtraction, but you know that's another story. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I like Carson a lot. Joe, because I know him. He's an actually really, really nice guy. But yeah. Super nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I've been talking to him a little bit now, but uh, yeah, yeah. He's from Long Island, where I live. So that's I've known oh, him for okay. for a few years now. And I interviewed oh, him okay. before he went to Edmonton. There, the guy. He's a really nice guy. I'm just. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested to hear a little bit more about what it was like playing for Canada uh, Youth Nationals. Good question. Oh, yeah. Um, it was great. Uh, at first, um, when I first got there, I was still in Edmonton, kind of playing college soccer for Nate. And everybody at that time were already playing for, um, like, Whitecaps Academy, like the MLS Academies, or they were playing in Europe, right? So it was for sure, like, scary a little bit, you know? I play with all those big names, but I don't know, my first camp I was able to do well. So like they called me, they called me for the next five camps or so. Uh, but it was great, like going to Spain, playing against, uh, I think we played against, um, who was it? We played against Spain, we played against Mexico, like playing against, uh, playing against Scotland. So just playing against those great players, great, great countries was a great experience, of course. And then, um, yeah, also like the qualifiers was great, you know. We, uh, we made it to the semifinals. If you won that game against the USA, we would qualify for the World Cup. Uh, unfortunately, we lost 3-1, I think. We scored the first goal, but we couldn't. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't. Uh, yeah, we didn't do good enough defensively. But, yeah, no, it was great. Just being able to kind of compete against the best players in the world uh, or, or in the continent um, at your age was obviously a great experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a, a step up because I played for, you, for the U18s and the U20s. I got two camps under my belt, but for me, uh, I know that I pretty much blew it because um, I wasn't in the shape I needed to be. Um, so when they called me up, I was playing for the academy, but that year we weren't playing any games. So getting match fitness and just getting a good rhythm, again, better was, wasn't there, right? So my first camp actually did well. We went to Spain and we had a little tournament, we had a good tournament. Um, lots of teams like Argentina, Japan, Spain, and we made it to the quarterfinals, or semifinals, and then we got absolutely dis- destroyed by Spain. I couldn't believe it how good they were. There were a bunch of players from Barcelona, Real Madrid, all those good teams, and yeah, they're just it was, it was just a different level. Um, we could compete, and this is something I find. I find that uh, Canada at the youth level is always able to compete yeah. up until up, up until U twenty. I think U twenty is when things started getting a lot a lot tougher, but. With uh, U17 and such, I think that we're as good as any team in North America or even sometimes uh, um, uh, South America. Yeah. But yeah, well, I, feel like, a whole experience. I feel like at the U20 level, like other countries, most players are already playing pro, you know. Well, like in Canada, you know, we're still in the youth setup, so we don't have the experience, you know, that men experience. So that's why I think there's the level, yeah. the gap, you know, widens. Yeah. But. Yeah. It's it's, get, it's getting better now, especially since we got a CPL. I think that'll that'll help us moving forward. But yeah. there's still a, a big, a big, big bridge and gap to uh to kind of go over and make up. Because right now, I don't think we're we're there yet. No, you're definitely getting there though. The improvement, yeah. so but from yeah, now definitely. ten years ago, it's massive. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. yeah we have yeah. we have uh, we have a very good pool of players now. Very good, some young players, uh, Davies, uh, Davids. 
uh, Calera and like all those players. There's even like lots of MLS players now. Yeah. yeah. Exciting times for Canada. Yeah, definitely. For sure. <laughs> sure, we'll move on. So uh, you guys had very different after your trials, unsuccessful, mm -hmm. successful, whatever, whatever it may be, but you've had very different paths to, to playing professionally. Uh, mm -hmm. Al, you kind of went straight into the FC Edmonton first team, yeah. played kind of sparingly the first year or two. And Bruno, you took kind of the college route. Um, yeah. Even I mean, you didn't come to the U.S. for college. A lot of our viewers know the U.S. college system, but the Canadian system is very similar. It's just yeah. less, less teams. It's a similar level. And you also played in the PPL, which is now USL League 2 in the yeah. U.S. Uh, so yeah. we'll just touch on kind of – first we'll go to you, Bruno, and we'll say – explain that experience, how it helped develop you as a player, and also what kind of success did you have at those levels? Yeah, so it's interesting because as a player, I've always been a player that um, – Obviously, he was talented, but um, I was also a player that could play uh, many, many positions. And so, honestly, up until college, uh, I didn't really have a position knocked down. You know what I mean? Uh, I just played here and there, here and there. And then my first year at U of A is when, really, uh, we worked with the coaches and we're like, you know what? Like, I'll play center mid. And I played, well, defensive mid that year. My first year at U of A was in 2016. And uh, we went all the way and we won nationals. Uh, the following year, again, uh, I played in the same position, did very well. Uh, but unfortunately, we, we just um, didn't win it. And the 2017 was my first year in the PDL. It was a new experience for me, but I thought it was uh, the, right, the right path because obviously university is actually very good in Canada. You, you have uh, some teams who don't really compete, but I'd say within the 40-plus teams that we have in Canada, well, probably 50-plus, um, it's probably... 10 teams who could probably compete with the top 50 in, uh, in uh, NCAA. Uh, so I was part of one of those, ten, part of those uh, top 10 teams. And then uh, in PDL, it was, about, it was the same. We got pretty much the best players from Canada West. So from Vancouver, uh, Alberta, and so on. Um, we recruited them and we played uh, PDL. And... Um, 2016, I wasn't there, but they made it to the final, actually, and they lost to Michigan Bucks. Uh, 2017 uh, was my first year there, and um, we lost two key players right off the bat, but we still did okay, and we lost to uh, Portland Timbers in the playoffs, and that team was amazing. They just they have about four players who are playing uh, MLS right now. Um, and then the following year, 2018, we, <laughs> we basically made a super team that is pretty much now Cavalry, and uh, we went on to win the whole thing. And, um, yeah, in between 2017 and 2018, there was actually a funny uh, time when I actually came back to Edmonton because Colin Miller had heard that uh, did very well with um, Fort Hills. And he called me back for, uh, for the rest of the season with um, FC Edmonton. And he actually wanted to sign me, but the time wasn't right at all because – it was around the time when we were hearing rumors about the NSL folding and there just wasn't enough time left in the season for me to even consider it because had I signed the contract and actually played some games, then that would have messed up um, um, a number of years I could have played in university. So that's something uh, I really thought of alongside some players uh, telling me that I should probably uh, stay in university. 
I got some friendly friendly advices and pushes here and there. So, uh, hey, run from Calvin Miller, run. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I decided to stay in university. And then I had another good year in PDL. We won the whole thing. And around that time, we were finding out that the TPL was actually going to be a thing. And so it was very exciting. And then fortunately for me, everything worked out. And then I signed uh, um, my first um, long-term contract with FC Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just go on. I'll mention the one game you did play in, in 2015 with FC Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, you got, did you score the goal or get the assist? But it, kind it, was, of- it was funny because so what happened is that we only had about 13 players healthy, and I've never seen them in my entire life. And then Colin's like, you know what, we need some players. So uh, he signed me, and then we go to Format to play a game. And um, John Smith was actually dressed. John, John Smith was actually dressed as a player too. And um, we had a good team, but we weren't winning too too often. But that game, we're up four one, and um, we're playing very well. And I'm thinking, oh man, like I'm actually going on because. Usually, seeing players cramp up. We've only made two subs, and that's it. I'm, I'm, I don't go on the field, so I'm like, well, obviously, I'm here to make up the numbers, and I'm never going to play. We go to Fort Lauderdale next game, and we're done one nothing, and I'm obviously just warming up, just having fun. The fans are just saying some stuff at us. And um, I hear Jeff saying, Bruno, and I'm like, like, Alan's on the field. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and then he's, like, he's like, no, it's you. Like, like you got to go on the field. And so... Uh, I go on the field and I'm just running everywhere. I'm just saying, you know what? No matter what, I'm just gonna work hard and see what happens. And then I made a run, and then the ball was in the air, and I don't know how I won it over the defender, but I knocked the ball down. And then Saeed Jalali came in and just volleyed the ball in, and we tied the game. So I'm thinking, oh yeah, I had a had a great game, you know, like I made an impact. And yep, that was the end of it. Never played it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, your moment of glory, Bruno. <laughs> yeah, moment of glory. I got one assist, one assist, and that, that was it. <laughs> that, I mean, that's a great story just because the system, I mean, in the U.S., it's getting a little bit better now in terms of college players. We're allowed to have academy players with USL yeah. and keep their college eligibility. But for a oh. while, for a while, you couldn't. You either had to be pro at the USL yeah. level, whatever. Or you you were amateur at the NCAA level, whereas in Canada you guys kind of been ahead of the times. Yeah. Where go into that rule that you touched on a little bit, how it is in Canada, where if you play like a one professional year, you have like one less year of eligibility, or what exactly? Yeah. So and they made a new rule too. It's like if you're under, I think 18 or something like that. Even if you play pro, so let's say I played at like 17, 16, uh, 17 or 18, I played three pro games. I would still be able to go to uh, university after, and oh, no really impact anything. Uh, got you, got you. Yeah. Cool. All right, Alan, let's hear your side of the story. And uh, I, mean, I mean, obviously, we know that you signed with FC Edmonton. Uh, it was 2015, right? Or 20... Yeah, 2015. So, so after... Go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say, so go a little bit into that and your early years at FC Edmonton. And also, I'd, I'd be interested to see, hear your side on kind of, if you were to go back, would you rather take a path like Bruno and play all the time at the PDL level, play all the time at the college level, or are you happy with kind of being a squad player for a couple of years at FC Edmonton? I'm just curious to see what you think would be more beneficial for you. Um, well, okay, so I'll go back to the story. So um, after London, I came back to Edmonton, and um, I didn't want to play for FC Edmonton anymore. But then uh, 
guys like Bruno and a few teammates convinced me to go back uh, and train with the reserve. So that's what I did. And then after a couple couple of weeks, Colin asked me to just come and make up the numbers of the first team, right? So I do that. Um, and I'll go to, I think I did, like, because it's, it's two seasons, right? So it's uh, spring and the fall. So in between the two, we go to, we, we usually do like a mini preseason. So he, he kind of invites me to that. And then I do well. And I just end up staying full-time with the, with the first team. I was just for training, right? And at the end of the year, I'm like, you know what, Colin, what's happening? Like, you know, like if, I, if I'm not going to sign, I'm going to obviously go to, to university and all that. And he tells me, you know what, it's just, it's like a month left of the season. He's like, you know what, stay for the end of the season and then we'll see what happens, right? I end up doing well and he offers me a six-month contract. And um, yeah, so then I started the, actually my first year, I actually started playing right away. So like the first away game, I made the squad. And then after like three games or so, like I, uh, I think uh, Albert Watson, Watson gets injured and I come, I come in right away, I guess, uh, I think it was against uh, Minnesota. They had a uh, Christian Ramirez and that um, oh, what's his name? Like the low guy. That people, uh, yeah, Ibarra. Yeah, yeah. So that was my first game. Yeah, that was my first game. So, wow. Did well. Um, and then the next game we played against Cosmos when they have they had that uh, Raul, that Senna, and I started that game. So yeah, my first year actually I ended up playing 21 games, and um, after that he extended my contract for two. Uh, extended my contract for two years. And then my second year, I think, is that when you came? Uh, my, year. my first 20, year. 2016. Yeah. You came in 2016? Yeah. So yeah. that year I don't play too much because we get, um, we get uh, Eckersley, you know, yeah. obviously there's uh, Eddie Edwards. I'm playing fullback at the time too. There's Eddie Edwards, there's uh, Johan Smith, you know, so yeah. like there's a lot, uh, Sean Nicklaw. So there's a lot of experience. I don't play that much. You know, I play 11 games. Um, at the end of the season, I asked Colin to kind of release me because I want I want to leave. I want to play, right? And he tells me, uh, no, like you're gonna be a good squad player for next year, so you just work hard and just you know you'll you'll have a spot. And I was like, yeah, whatever, sure. And then uh, yeah, I <laughs> so I, I'm not really sure because I have my option, right? So um, coming from 30, I'm on the bench, and then I think a midfield wasn't doing so great. I think who do we have again? We had. Um, Hey, that second year, who did we have? We had Darryl uh, Fordyce. Yeah, no, Daryl didn't. Wasn't there? <laughs> Darryl, yeah, yeah, Daryl was gone. I think. <laughs> was 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 it was the next first year? Yeah, uh, the second year. It was the second Dick year. Okay. Playing, um, we had Dustin. He would play in the middle sometimes. Yeah. Uh, when Nico, Nico was good too. Nico was like, uh, from Argentina. Yeah. yeah, Christian was there too. Morrow. Christian, Christian was there. Yeah, yeah. Morrow. But yeah, whatever. For some reason, the Colin doesn't really trust the midfield, and he just puts me there. I do well, and I played, I think, twenty-two games. So it was honestly in three years, I played like fifty or so games. So, you know, you asked me a question like, looking back, would I have gone to university? For me, you know, I kind of regret not really having like a, a degree or something like that. But in terms of football, I think I made the right decision because. You know, if I look at players my age or other players that kind of just went to university my age and after that didn't really get a pro contract, like, I got that experience. I got it. You know, I got a chance to travel all around the States. You know, um, I play against great players. Like, I get the chance to play with you, obviously. We play against, like, uh, Raul, you know, Senna. There was um, uh, Samaras. I think Samaras played Joe. for OKC for a year. You Joe know, Cole. like, the what? Joe Cole. 
Yeah, good yeah. call. Exactly. You know, so no, I, I would I would do the same thing. I think you know, like maybe maybe try to do school online at the same time. You know, because I now I'm getting older, I'm realizing that you know I should have done something. But in terms of football, you know, like I I I love my experience. You know, and like, now I'm close. If I had a full season this year, I would have had a hundred professional games, right? So, I I I'm happy with what I did so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Like people that don't know about the NASL, like it was yeah. the wild west of, of yeah. it, was, it was like the original NASL to a lesser yeah. degree. Amount of yeah. star at least. Yeah. Very good league. Even like Sorry, people talk about the USL and stuff like that, but the level of the NSL, like it was, especially, yeah, uh, 2015, 16, 17, before it folded, it was really, really high. Like, there's a lot of experience, you know, players, big players coming from Europe. It was, honestly, for my development, anyways, like that was, that was great. That was, I learned a lot. Even, even, guys, even guys like, even guys like Poku were, were coming up, yeah. and Poku was a beast. It was crazy. It was, it was a lot of fun to, you know, like, the Cosmos were, were very close for me, so I could go watch the games all the time. And yeah. yet what you guys are saying is 100% accurate. You know, it was uh, – I, I definitely think it was a higher level than USL. And, you know, maybe if you had a top, top USL game, you know, different story. But, you know, uh, just it wasn't as big of a league and there, there was more money being spent, you know. And, uh, and you guys were – you know, the clubs were able to get, you know, guys like yourselves and – other really good quality players and games are really interesting to watch. It was, uh, it was, it was just like a level below MLS and and above USL. I thought for that period of time. Yeah, yeah. They even had uh, they broke the domestic transfer fee with Richie Ryan, seven hundred fifty. Yeah. yeah, bonkers for a second division league. And yeah. I still don't think MLS has broken it. Maybe they have, but the amount of money that was going that league i mean yeah obviously it it became unsustainable but it was really cool to see just average players making real livable salaries and then you also yeah. have big stars six figures easily yeah the one quick story i'll tell also like uh, at the time was um as, as part of my advocacy role for jim keegan uh trying to find him a club uh I, talking to mark dos santos when he was coaching San Francisco Deltas, yeah. he was getting ready to go in there. For some odd reason, he sent me a, a whole list of like basically job descriptions with salaries for the mm -hmm. positions for the Deltas. And the salaries, I was, you know, looking at them and I'm, I'm like, and I sent it to a couple people, of course, you know, who wouldn't. And we're all looking at it like, how the heck are they affording this kind of money? <laughs> Yeah. For the players at this level, when they're not getting that kind of revenue coming in, mm -hmm. you know, go, you know, huge shocker that the club only lasted one year. But <laughs> that was a heck of a year, a heck of a team, and you know, they yeah. spent an awful lot of money on those players. But uh, you know, it's it's they won that piece, yeah. <laughs> So one and done. We couldn't get Jake there because you know, a certain person named Colin Miller. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> how is it going? Oh. Mark was interested in signing me. I don't know how far it would have actually gone if Colin would have let me go. But I that second year, I wanted to go. Similar to you, Bruno. I was like, listen, the first year I was playing out of position on the wing a lot. I was like, can oh, I yeah. go? And so I kind of reached out to other coaches just trying to get a feel. And he 
San Francisco was Mark DeSantos one that was interested and Colin was just like, no. And, and Mark and Colin obviously don't like each other. So yeah. <laughs> like Mark was like, we're never going to figure anything out. So it's, just, yeah. it's one of you like, what would it like, what would have happened? It wouldn't really cool. If I got a yeah. chance to. That Cause they won, they won the league that year, right? Yeah, they won, yeah. Right? Yeah, they won. one and done, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They got, they got a documentary on those guys. One <laughs> the first and last dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, quick question I wanted to ask you guys, just kind of from out of a uh, different area, is who besides Didier Drogba is the greatest player of all time? Since, you know, you guys are from the Ivory Coast, obviously <laughs> Didier Drogba, or not from the Ivory Coast, but parents are. Didier Drogba has to be the greatest player of all time, right? <laughs> We're not like that, no. We're not like no. that. Not like that. <laughs> I, I, I like Drogba, but for me, uh, I don't know. For me, the best player of all time, because I still remember, like, I still have memories when I was in France from 98, you know, and I remember, obviously, France, uh, uh, 06, you know, for me, the best player is, my favorite player anyway is Zidane. Like, there's no one, yeah, there's no one really as magical or as better than him for me anyways not even Conte <laughs> honestly Conte because you guys used to call me Conte all the time that, that's why I kind of like you know but other than that no nah, I like I like players with flair you know so yeah Zidane is a guy for me yeah for, for me I'm just I'm just a fan of the game so uh, I've never really had a favorite player um, obviously when it comes to the greatest player of all time um, especially that I've watched like I, I've got to go with Messi because he's just brilliant right but um, it, it honestly doesn't mean that he's my favorite player because I, I don't really like Messi that much, to be honest. But uh, watching him play is a joy, obviously, because he's amazing. And the things he does with the ball is great. But for me, I don't really have a favorite player. I like, I like, I like watching the game a lot. And um, there's obviously the players like De Bruyne, you do special things, Mbappe, uh, Neymar. And it's just, it's just interesting seeing the different type of stuff they do. Like, like you said, I can't say, like, you watch him and just the way – he wins the ball, he's on plays. It's, it's very entertaining to watch. Then you watch De Bruyne, the way he passes the ball. It's very entertaining to watch. Then you watch a dribble like Neymar. So, for me, that's just how I view the game. I've never really had a favorite player, and I still wouldn't have one right now. It's just, just an inside joke for that also. It was just a shout-out to some of uh, the guys I know from Ivory Coast here in New York. Uh, Guy Roland Cabene played in uh, Free Fleet MLS. Uh, got to know Guy a little bit, uh, and also a couple of the guys like Henry Manhabo, Guhan. You played with Tulsa, Roughnecks, and uh, so there are, there is a bit of a group of uh, guys from Ivory Coast, uh, yeah. actually from there, you know, or from maybe from France, like yourselves, uh, you know, here in, in in New York, and we actually have, you know, these uh, small uh, African tournaments. Uh, where, the, where like they'll have like the national team uh, of each country and they'll have players and some of them played professionally maybe here maybe over the, you know whatever yeah, we have those in here too those are very yeah. fun those yeah are crazy. And, tackles playing and so physical <laughs> yeah, yeah that's hard. the I Ivory play, Coast guys are all about Drogba so that's just kind of why I threw that out there so. okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> I think you actually may have recruited was it Alan or Bruno to come to one of these tournaments for one of your buddies? Is it was it the one in Toronto? Maybe I could have. Because oh, I in think Toronto is the Croatian tournament. Oh, the Croatian tournament. So I wonder who you invited. Yeah, no, but um, 
it's Croatian clubs, but like uh, Tyson, I, I, maybe one of the, the Zebus, you know, might have been definitely uh, Tyson Frago. Uh, yeah, um, my, my buddy Tom was was talking to him. They they do a team out of Connecticut, and it's um, they they also run the Macron uh, U.S. office or whatever U.S. you know uh, bit manufacturing of uh, the kits and. They do a team, you know, their Croatian background. They send a team up to the tournament. It's a Croatian tournament. Yeah, I mean, if you guys are available next uh, fall, they're definitely interested. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully you'll be busy. (laughs) The next year, and they'll be both playing in the final. Well, we'll get get into who you're playing for. Uh, One one question also, if you don't mind, Jake, just real quick also is – I was just reading the article about uh, about both of you, your brother, you know, your relationship as brothers, um, and oh, I'm back. And sorry, and so I was just wondering if if Bruno left to go play for Calvary this year because you guys spent so much time together during the pandemic that you just didn't want to see each other anymore. <laughs> I was I was already I was already away during the pandemic, so that that, that couldn't be it. <laughs> I was already in Calgary. <laughs> I read that you guys were together with another player during the pandemic. Oh for, yeah. For so like so what happened is that yeah, so I was I was in Calgary and then um obviously we found the pandemic and everything. So I came back for about a month or so. And uh we actually have a, a player, his name is Janoi Sua, who uh lives at my house and he's a good friend of ours now. And he's, he's from Cameroon. So it was the three of us in the house just trying to stay fit. <laughs> Play some soccer tennis, workout, yeah, <laughs> the boring stuff. At that point, you guys, one of you had to go. Yeah, I had to, so. man. Yeah, but uh, at least you went to picking better team, so good for you. We can go into just a little bit about the 2000 to so last season, 2019. When you guys, Bruno, you signed your first, I guess, full-time professional contract. And Alan, after you spent a year in 2018, you had hip surgery, right? Was it hip surgery? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So from running so many miles as Conte for <laughs> 2017, towards the end of the year, you missed like the last five games. Uh, you had yeah. to get arth- arthroscopic hip surgery, was it? Yeah. Uh, I had like a hip impingement and a torn, torn labrum as well. So you had to fix that. Yeah, so he was Alan was out for a while, and in 2018, and you ended up just basically just sitting out the season because of the, which is, which is obviously really tough. Um, but you, I guess I'll go to you first. Can you just get into a little bit about kind of the recovery process, how mentally tough it was for you, and then how good it felt uh, to then sign again with FC Edmonton for 2019, first season in the Canadian League. Oh, it was obviously very tough. Like I thought in 2017, I had a pretty strong season. Uh, I had agents and teams that were kind of talking to me towards the end of the season. So, you know, I, in my head, I was getting ready to leave because my contract was as well, right? And as I was folding, so I was, ready, I was getting ready to leave. And then um, I didn't get my results till after the season. So probably in November, like uh, I got a scan and everything, got the results in November. And then I was told that I needed surgery. So, and yeah, so that was obviously devastating. Uh, surgery too had to take place the next year in, the, in January. So like that, I lost an extra three months. Um, yeah, it was just it was just tough, honestly, just because I've been I was playing for three years already, pro. So 
you know, obviously losing a year, losing the fitness is just is just tough mentally. Um, seeing all your teammates, see me playing too, is was hard. Um, I ended up getting fit by May. You know, uh, transfer window was opening in the summer, so I thought maybe I was gonna leave. You know, I was talking to my agents, trying to figure out something. But at the same time, I knew the CPL was coming, so I decided to take it take it safe. You know, uh, just I knew Jeff wanted to sign me, so I just decided to stay. Just make sure I get fit, use the the the, the rest of the year to get fit to uh, to sign 20, uh, to sign into the CPL. So yeah, that was that was great. Just being like the first signing for FC Edmonton in the CPL. Obviously, yeah, having their history with the club, um, that was great. Um, obviously, signing with Bruno as well, that was a great, that was a great experience. Um, but yeah, that was that was basically my off year. And then I let Bruno talk about the 2019 season. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, I knew that um, actually uh, I had the option between Calgary and, and Edmonton for the 2019, but. Um, I can't wait to uh, go back home because um, a lot of my good friends who I had been playing with since I was 12 were getting signed. So uh, knowing them, knowing the way they play, knowing the way my brother and Adam play, guys have grown up around, I, I knew that if we all put together, we can actually achieve something good. So at least I thought so. So that was my, that was my thought process and uh, I signed for the club. And um, it was interesting because um, I still believe that we had a very good team. I think going from the back line to the set of midfielders and to the strikers, we were very, very good. Uh, we were missing uh, better wingers and a good attacking mid. I think that's what we were missing in terms of players. But uh, as a whole, as a team, we were very good. Um, and then what made us so difficult was the fact that we didn't have an identity as, as a team because as players, we can only do so much. And um, we knew that if you put up, if you put in all the right players on the field, uh, we will produce to some extent. We will do well, but at some time, then obviously um, the coaching will have to play a part of it. And unfortunately for us, um, it was a new experience for, for a lot of players. It was a first year signing pro. And for the coach, too, it was his first year as a, as a first-team head coach. And um, I, th I feel like he just had so many ideas. And he kind of got lost in the thought of all his ideas. And he never really established uh, a way he really wanted to play. So that kind of, like, uh, that made it difficult for us. Um, and then uh, throughout the season, we found, we found form. Uh, we played literally all the guys I was talking about. So... Me, Alan, um, Adam, and a bunch of other guys who grew up playing around with. And we were pretty solid, and we knew what we were about, and we knew what we could do if we played together. And then uh, one game, um, we, had, we had a lot of games in succession, in succession. So the manager decided to, uh, to make some changes, and uh, the changes kind of like upset our whole rhythm, our flow, our... Uh, momentum and then from there it was very hard to recover again and then we got a couple injuries and then finally again once we got to play all together we picked things up started playing better again and it's kind of the same scenario either injuries from the most important players or or trying to get some rotation in and it just made it difficult for us yeah it's crazy how people don't realize from the outside how much coach and your manager plays 
part in a team success. Like well, obviously you have the recruitment aspect of it, uh, which is, which is a big part. You need to have good players, but once you have that base and I feel like in 2016 and 2017 at FC Edmonton, it was a very similar situation. We had so many talented players and in mm-hmm. 2017 we were good because the players basically just ran the dressing room and we had yeah. a lot of old players like Matt Van Oakle, Adam Eckersley, Alex yeah. Watts, Daryl Ford, guys like that, that, they just said, all right, we have, I mean, Colin Miller was the coach, obviously, but they took the, the onus was on them to set the standards and had kind of a settled team and everybody kind of figured out their roles. Whereas in 2017, we got some new players and things changed and we lost some of that leadership. And that, at that point, it's so crucial that a coach comes in and kind of creates that identity that you're speaking about. Um, yeah. And it's the, just, if it doesn't happen. Was Van Oakle went to MLS in 2017? Yeah. He, he went after, after yeah. Yeah, the yeah. last year. Yeah, because I remember seeing him in 2016, and he just unbelievably seemed like he was unbeatable. Yeah, it was. I don't know what happened. <laughs> you just were seeing everything just crazy. Yeah, I don't know. This he, man, like, he would put the striker in on a breakaway with his like by playing the ball out, and they just save it anyway. Yeah. As a fan, you know, as an observer, you know, it's just. It, and with other folks as well, and, and also what I'm reading, it just seemed like Van Oakle was that was such a key player, you know, that the team was good, but that, you know, like, maybe it was the system that, you know, like he was there to really kind of hold things together in the back and make those saves, keep you guys in the game, and then, um, let you know, let the folks, you know, up top try to get some goals in when, when possible, but it would just always keep you guys in the game, you know, never get too far behind or keep it at a tie score and then, yeah. you know, get the goal if you didn't, if you hadn't done it early. Yeah. Well, that was I, a game plan, right? Back then, it's just um, defend, 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 hope you score a goal and then just defend, defend, defend the whole time, right? So that's why, that's why Matt was so big for us. Yeah. I also think uh, and not everybody loves the guy. He can be a little bit confrontational, but I think Adam Eckersley is the mm-hmm. – the kind of leadership and experience. He was a Manchester United player. He played first team, team games with them. I think a lot of the experience he brought, um, along with Pop and Albert, were unbelievable as center yeah. back. Uh, just had that back line, and we had. But I, but I, I still go back to like I just the, the culture of the team was just mm-hmm. so much different. And yeah. it, it, I think a lot of a lot of the time, it's difficult for players to create that culture on their own. And I think it's yeah. important for the coach to come in. Uh, do that. I, I, I can tell you that what saved us last year, because I think what I'm going to say, if, if we didn't have that, we would have been dead last. But what saved us last year was the fact that we had the best locker room I've ever had in my entire life at yeah. any level I've ever been in. Um, going back to when I was on trial with, uh, with FC Edmonton back in 2017, um, I come in every morning, heads are down, there's no music, no nothing, <laughs> right? nothing at all. In 2019, it was basically like family. Like you come in the locker room, people are singing, the music is blasting, people are playing ping pong, all sorts of games. So um, we had some up and downs. Obviously, like we had, we had our spell of like six or seven games where we didn't score a goal, and obviously, like that takes a toll on players. And players are starting to doubt themselves, and they're starting to get mad at each other. But we actually stood together, and we stood by one another. And then we went on a run with like 13 games where we only lost two and maybe tied like four, and then we won the rest. So um, if we didn't have the locker room that we had, and I do give Jeff some credit for that because he signed the players, 
if we didn't have that locker room, um, we would have been a lot far worse. Uh, we would have been <laughs> a lot worse than we were last year. Uh, I mean, in 2019. Yeah, I mean, people forget. Like, you did finish third. It's not. Yeah. Fourth. Yeah. You were distant yeah. third in terms of because in yeah. last year you made the final top two, but you're yeah. still of eight, of eight or seven last year. Yeah, out of seven, fourth out of seven, so it wasn't the worst thing ever. Oh, fourth, sorry. I thought yeah. you guys made trophy like the third place trophy. Because we were very, we were third like the whole time, and then at the end of the season, we won like a terrible spell where we kind of like lost that spot. But yeah, right. I think I think I think. One of the issues that we have in in, in Canadian soccer, and um, I think there's a lot of good coaches in, in Canada. I think there's some a lot of coaches who are progressive and learning and getting better. But the biggest issue that for me I have is that there's too many coaches uh, that are reactive. So what I mean by that is that they worry more about their position than themselves. So when you train during, during the whole week, they worry way too much about their position than the way they want to play. And then another thing that is really hard to deal with, and I told, I was talking to Alan about it the other day, is that too many coaches here in Canada say, listen, uh, this year we'll play like this team. This year we'll play like this team. And at the end of the day, you're not, you're not at the training center with, with that team. So no matter how much scouting you do and no matter how much you watch them, there's no way you will really understand how they play. So for me, it's as a manager, because I coach a lot myself and, I'm getting a lot better, and uh, it's you gotta have your own philosophy. And no matter who you play against, you gotta play the same way every single game. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's a bit different. So I feel, I feel like uh, you shouldn't be changing your philosophy. You should you should you should really try and find a way that you want to play, and then make other teams adapt to you. Because you shouldn't be the one adapting for another team. So it shouldn't be like today I'm playing against FC Edmonton, so I'm gonna play this way, and then the other week I'm playing another team, so I gotta play that way. It doesn't really make sense. And I think that's where. A lot of coaches go wrong here. I think a big part of that is just similar to how the players haven't had a professional league up until two years ago or last yeah, season. Exactly. Yeah. Either. So when I looked at the CPL coaches when it first came out, I was like, I, I made a joke. I don't remember. It might have been to Tyson. I was like, look at this group of soccer dads. Because, <laughs> <laughs> it was it, like, I mean, it was seven guys who looked like it could be your, your Sunday league coach or it could be your – I mean, it looks aren't everything, don't get me wrong, but it just yeah. – that, that, like there was, a, there was a picture of seven of the initial yeah. Yeah. CPUs. I was like and, – and, and you can't fault them. Like JP, uh, Jeff Paulus, who is your coach or was mm-hmm. coach at FC Edmonton, he is very passionate about the game. Yeah. But it's, it's just – he hasn't – he's been coaching youth and he didn't have that experience. Mm-hmm. And if, Ed, or if Canada had this – CPL league years ago, maybe he has that experience and maybe he's a little better, co- better coach, similar to way you guys could have been better players. And I, I think that's a, definitely a fair, I mean, you, we can criticize coaches. We can criticize. I, I do think. Experience oh yeah. Is, it's definitely like for me, for me, first of all, there's, there's lots of good coaches in the league too. Some very good class coaches, but some of the players, some players are playing, but they might not be there yet, but the good thing is that they're actually playing. So, they're experiencing it and they will progress as they play. But mm-hmm. um, when players got signed for their first year and their first year pros, some of them weren't, weren't ready. But at the end of the day, it's the Canadian league. We need Canadian players. So you got to throw them in there. So with the same with the coaches and the players, the coaches will get better, players will get better. And already this year, you've seen um, a rise 
in in terms of uh, uh, level in the league. So, uh, but but I wasn't I wasn't by any means saying that the coaches weren't good enough or the players weren't good enough. It's just there's a bit of both, just like in any any type of league, a bit of both. Absolutely, Alan. How would you compare the level of the NASL 2016-2017 CPL yeah. last year and then CPL in this kind of shortened season? Um, Going to that. Oh well, I would say the NASL is easily the better league. It's just you just have more experience, right? You have players that play over the world in big leagues, so you can't really compare. You know, the I felt like every game was challenging in the NSL. You know, every after every game, I was tired. After every game, like it was, it was, it was just a grind, right? Obviously, the way we played didn't help that, but you know, it was, it was a bit harder in the in the CPL. I felt like I could coast a bit more, you know playing against a lot of first-year pros, a lot of players that don't have experience. Um, I don't know, like, this year it got better. You know, like, a lot of players on the second years. We have more internationals as well, better internationals. So that helps. But uh, it's going to take a while to catch to, to, the, to the level the NSL was. It's just, at the end of the day, Canadians right now, we're not good enough, you know. We, it's going to get there with, like, with time, but we're just not good enough. And, uh, yeah, this NSL was just a bunch of... Uh, internationals right bunch of even yeah. the, the guys coming from the u.s they they already had games like you before coming you came from europe already you know like it was just it's just night and day it's just night and day so cpl is just a up and coming new league so you can't really compare it to two leagues like that yeah it is an exciting time in north america though like yeah. i watch i mean usl championship games i watch them and i think to myself this is mls 15 years ago like yeah. it, it's really not much different. Like the, some of the players in that league, so many internationals. Obviously, you still have the academy teams that play the kids. Uh, but yeah. there's so many Phoenix, like a Louisville, like a Tampa Bay Rowdies, who we played Miami FC, who we played in the NASL. Mm-hmm. That quality is there, and I, I definitely think the CPL will get there soon. I think you guys do. You do need a few more teams. I, I do. Yeah. I do think. Yeah. You know, if if you there will be more teams next year. Breaking news on the podcast. <laughs> or hope, we're hoping there's at least one, but uh, I don't know. But I think I think COVID really kind of like screwed some plans up because I'm sure if, if it wasn't for COVID, we'd have at least one or two more for the following year. But I'm sure that in 2022 we'll have we'll have more teams. And for me, I, I'll see that it's, it's, it's exciting because you see uh, young Canadians uh, getting to play some minutes, and you see the odd player here and there really making a name for themselves. So I think honestly, we we need a building block, and we are the building block. But moving forward, maybe 10 years from now, this league could be very, very good. And even right now, like, in terms of marketing and everything, it's, it's actually really, like, I'm impressed with it. And I'm actually proud to be playing this league. And it's a league that I can see myself retiring in if that's my level. And if it's where I'm going to the first of my career, I have no problem with that. And I just hope that I try and help the league grow. Because I know that if, if um, financially, we, we make sure that everything is okay and then we can get some more teams, now that I think this league has a lot of potentials. Lot of that's, potential. the, that's the biggest thing for me financially. Uh, like one of the reasons the NSL was so good is because we were able to pay the players, right? Right now in the, in the CPL, I know it's a new league, but financially we're not there. We're not able to attract those big players, you know? So on, until we kind of just catch up to maybe like a USL level or like, you know, like pay our players a bit more, I think CPL might struggle for a little bit. But I guess this, that's normal. This is, I think... The, for our American audience, this might have been the first year, you know, that we it, it was the games are on quite a bit. I don't know if they really were on that much in the U.S. 
previously, but um, that combined the, the availability of the games combined with you know the availability of time because of the pandemic, we're all you know mm-hmm. home a lot more. We have more time, so we're able to see a lot more games. And you know, I, I was I was impressed with the standard as well. I, I thought it was quite good and definitely comparable to. I think I even told you, Jake, at one point that I thought the level was was comparable to you know USL. Uh, division one and and perhaps championship level too you know uh you know there wasn't much difference there you know maybe just a couple players here and there uh but what do, what do you guys think about uh the the impact now in the off season where we're starting to see uh, a, a large number of players from the Canadian league going on trials in in europe uh for me it was for me it was expected because uh like i said i think uh, there's, there's lots of good players, and um, one thing that I can say for American viewers is that they they've seen us, but they haven't at the same time because we played so many games in such a short amount of space that the level dropped. You know what I mean? So um, if it was a regular season and American viewers got to watch the whole season, they would have seen a lot of good players, some good quality football. So uh, for me, it's no surprise that I see some players getting some interest in in all over uh, the world actually because. Obviously, not everyone, but I'd say there's probably, like, the top 30 players who could be playing anywhere, really. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, not a Premier League or anything like that, but they could be playing in uh, League One in England, maybe even Championship or something like that. So, for me, um, it's something that I expected and it's something that we'll keep seeing more of. I also think it's a goal of the league, right? The league has an agenda of, like, producing Canadian players. You see with the, the rules, like, uh, the under-21 rule, where you have to get a... I think playing under 21, playing a thousand minutes, something like that. So I think it's definitely a goal, especially with the World Cup 2026 that might be coming in Canada. So I think they're definitely pushing towards that, right? So yeah, it's something we're going to see and something that's going to keep happening. But it's definitely great for Canadian soccer and North American soccer, right? Yeah, it's something that Dan and I talk about a lot is, yeah. is in particular with Irish clubs that the way you make money is A, yeah, you get fans, you get whatever t-shirt, Uh, jersey sales but the main way that clubs make money especially like the lower league clubs is you sell the players on and something that if canada and i mean the u.s as well if canada can do and become kind of a feeder league to denmark uh what's the guy Mm -hmm. angara who's going there now if they get if they get easton well there and they're like Mm -hmm. we have a striker who banged in 15 goals in second division in Denmark, then they're like, all right, who do we, else do we have in that league? What other young Canadians? And then clubs can start profiting. And that's how you can start paying players more, bringing in more old, maybe more quality into the league and just continuing to improve the level. But it's, it's an, it's an exciting time. I like, I'm, I'm watching Twitter. I'm like, like, like this guy, Easton Agar, like I've, I've seen him play a few times. I know I asked yeah. for your one soccer password talent to watch the game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't even need FS2 in the U.S., Fox Sports, yeah. was all of your games. So I watched Yeah, them. I saw that. That's crazy. That was crazy. Yeah. But, so I watched yeah. them. And I, like, I, I think Easton's a good player. I mean, it's difficult in your team uh, for a striker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he has some really good finishes. So I'm really curious to see how he does. It'll be, be interesting. I, th- I, think, I think he can make it in the game. I think he's got a high ceiling. Yeah. He's a high worker. He works really hard behind the scenes. And he's got, he's got a body. And the thing, though, is, like, for, from your point of view, you're watching his goals and you're thinking, oh, it's just a, a portrait. He just gets his chance when he's in the box, he'll tap it in. But no, like if you, if you really know him, you'll know that like he can take on a few players and then just bang one in from outside the box. He can bang in free kicks. So it's just, 
might have exposure for him. And I think Denmark's a really, really good move from him for him. I think honestly, I think that if he does well, his career is going to take off. So, uh, guys, uh, jumping, you know, back to to yourselves, what maybe talk, you know, a bit about um, about your twenty twenty seasons. You know, they were, I know they were a bit short, and obviously, and then also maybe going ahead into into twenty twenty one. You know, despite all the uncertainty with the pandemic, what, you know, what what are your thoughts about where you'd like to go and what you'd like to do as far as coming back or maybe trying to look for another a move to another league? Yeah. Well, well, obviously, 2020 didn't go as planned for us. Um, I don't know. I think that's I what think... FC Edmonton, right, Alan? Yeah, FC Edmonton. Sorry, just, no, um, just for anybody listening, just you know, yeah, make sure they know. Yeah, like like Jake mentioned before, just like the leadership, we didn't have like um, yeah, we didn't have an identity. You know, the players ourselves, we didn't. We weren't like we were able to get together to kind of just push the group to kind of. Just get get to a decent level, right? Like we we lost the first two games, and then we it just went downhill from there. We never recovered mentally, and then uh, obviously being in a bubble, you don't see any, you don't see anyone else. You just you know kind of stuck in your ways. So it just it was really hard mentally, especially after losing the first three games. Uh, but now for next year, I don't know. My contract is done. Um, it's harder to find clubs when you have a terrible season like that as a team you know individually I thought I did decent but obviously teams are going to look at what the team did right so I don't know I'm open to staying with Edmonton I think there's a little bit of interest also I have the, I have the, the French passport right so I would love to kind of just experience something else because I've been with Edmonton since the academy right I left for like that one year in, in to London for like a year but then other than that I've been here for what like nine years now nine, eight years. So I'm kind of, I wouldn't mind seeing something else, but it has to be, it has to be right financially and it has to make sense too, right? We'll see, we'll see. Okay. Uh, for me, I feel like there's a little bit of an unfinished business. Uh, I, I definitely believe that Ford was a better team and they deserved it overall to win the league. Uh, but at the same time, we got very, very unlucky because uh, out of uh, five attacking players, so from attacking mids, wingers and everything, and out of seven, from attacking mates, wingers, all that, we lost five of them. So <laughs> we started well, we finished first in the first round, and then we just got hit with so many injuries, um, uh, torn ACL, uh, broken tibia, a bunch of muscle injuries. So at the end of the day, we just ran out of gas, and we worked very hard, and that's, that's the type of football we play. We're, we're a hard-working team, we press really well. Uh, but uh, we were missing the creativity at the end. That's, that's what it looked like. We played at the back. We played the midfielders. And uh, up front, we had the two that were remaining are very good players. But unfortunately, we couldn't really create for them. Um, I'm a center mid. And I, I'm, I'm very good at what I do. And I actually had a, a good year. And I really showcased what I could do. But uh, near the end, I had to play a higher up. And I was doing a very good job of the ball. On the ball, I was doing OK. But at the end of the day, you, um, even the coaches knew that um, they were just hoping that we could create something out of nothing, kind of that type of stuff, because uh, you can't be asking a player who is a ball winner and plays uh, uh, safe passes to, uh, to really create or go and bang goals, you know what I mean? So um, it was a good experience. Um, we, did, we did well. I think we did well. But uh, for me, I'd like to be back in Calgary next year and 
and um, they have my option, so we'll see what happens with that. And right now it's just about um, trying to improve next year. Hopefully we'll have more of a normal season and we can actually get our, our internationals in because there's two players, we're attacking players too, <laughs> that we couldn't get in the country. So that was also a, a bit of a, of a letdown. Has there been any, any interest uh, or any, any noise or anything from, um, from the national team since your youth days? Or have you guys have been to any camps? You know, just gotten any kind of looks or any opportunities, or just yeah, I'll see right. that be, being being honest right now. Um, as of right now, for any of us to coming in the, the team will be very, very hard. Um, there's a lot of players ahead of us in the pecking order, and those players are very good players. Uh, so for us, for me now, especially, I think we gotta raise our game now. Um, because yeah, we both had a, a good year. But now we're going to be more influential because when you talk with CPL, there's always like the best players to talk about. But players like me and Alan are never in the conversation. So if we're never in the conversation in the CPL, um, as hard as it is to, my, to hear, um, there, there's absolutely no chance that, that we, we, we're ever going to reach the senior squad. So uh, the first step would be that if we're in the CPL, players like me and Alan have to be uh, out there and be – two of the most dominant players in the league. Because if that doesn't happen, like I said, again, we're not going to be part of the conversation. But if it does happen, then we can start entertaining conversation and, yeah, see what happens from there. Well, also, also, if you look at players or positions, they, they play in Europe, you know, they play in Europe. Even guys like Piet and stuff like that, um, like other center mids, because we play center mid, right? They, yeah, I came. They, they play MLS and they're, like, stand-up players. Wow, well, yeah. Right? So... It's just really, really difficult at this point to get there. Are, are both of you, Bruno, you're center mid, and, and Alan, you're you play left back? Because I was just looking online, and it seems like you're both online and, like, transfer mark or something that has you both down as uh, left-sided players. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, think, I think that's because of the 2019 season, because I played left back that season, and Bruno played left winger. Yeah. Not on the same side, so maybe that's because of that. But we're we're both sentiments. Like we're okay. both like, yeah. Okay. Alan Alan has played a lot of fullback. I'm not sure about you, Bruno. I, I didn't play. I played a lot of fullback, man. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I played everywhere. Even even that one year when we uh went to Sask and played I played a friendly game, I was playing center back. <laughs> Nobody knows why. <laughs> Utility players. Yeah. So, Bruno, when do you find out about your option, whether or not Calvary is going to pick it up or not? Uh, that depends on the coach. Um, so, right now, they're kind of like uh, trying to – I think the priority right now is to uh, try and focus on, on the pieces that we really, really need. Um, probably like attacking mid, wingers, and things like that. Um, also, I think now there will be a lot of competition for out-of-contract out of, uh, players because – um, there's a lot of top, top players now in the league that are out of contract. So there's lots of interest around the whole league. So I'm pretty sure that they're trying to focus on that right now. And then um, whenever they're ready, I guess they'll uh, keep me up, updated because we already had uh, about one or two conversations and they went well, but there hasn't been a phone call or anything that tells me that, uh, yeah, I picked up my option. So, um, yeah, just a bit of patience. Um, if they pick up my option, great. I'll be happy with it because I want to be back. But if not, then... Um, I, th I think I've done enough this year to uh, to go somewhere, whether it's uh, here in CPL or um, USL or maybe even Europe. So, yeah, not too stressed right now. What, what, 
what are the themes like we've talked about on on, on the show? Oh, maybe you start off, Alan, um, and then maybe Bruno uh, is just about the grind, and you know maybe you know as far as you know being a player and and all the things you challenges you face. So maybe Alan, you could just tell us a little bit about focusing more on the more recent uh, the Canadian League. Uh, being, you know, a limited number of teams and in such a large country, a lot of travel and, and how those types of things affect, uh, affect you as a player, affect your ability to perform? Uh, I mean, I think I felt the grind more in the NSL, just uh, especially because of uh, the travel, the way like, we're so far away from every team in the NSL, right? So the traveling was really really took a toll on on you you know like so yeah so in terms of that the traveling definitely definitely grind also depends on what kind of coach you have like in the nsl we have a really defensive coach so it's um it's just you defend defend tackle you know win balls going counter attack so that that takes a toll on you um yeah i'll see yeah it's just yeah i would see i would see mostly the travel is the biggest grind for me anyways other than that, other than that, it's just it's just part of, like it's just part of being pro, right? You have to you have to be um like you have to take care of your body, you know. You have to take care of your body. You have to make sure you do the the the, the proper things to make sure you're ready for games. But like you like you, like you said, like the grind is just part of the game. You just get used to it, especially in North America. The it's so it's so big, right? If, even even actually even in the CPL, like you go from from Edmonton to Halifax. You have like maybe like one one night to get ready for the game. So North America is, it, it takes a toll on you, but like you have to be professional. You have to learn. That's why that that's why we talked about experience before, right? Like um uh just being a one, first year pro, like a uh, um you have to learn how to manage all those things, right? So yeah, that's that's about it. Just North America is just a grind in general. I mentioned on our first podcast uh, we were talking about the grind, and I mentioned to me. Now he's like, you got to be a grinder. Yeah. Or like grinder. Should be shown uh, with the impact. So that's kind of where that, that question comes from with, with Dave and, and the grind of professional sports. Do you know, uh, have any idea who the new coach will be with Edmonton or no? Um, I do have an idea. I don't want to say anything right now. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah. Can you give, us, can you give us a hint? Uh, he's Canadian. <laughs> That's not yeah. a big. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't want to get in trouble. But yeah, actually, I was talking to an agent yesterday that told me that you might know who it is. So, but who? Like, I. I think that person will be. It will be really good for the club. Um, he has experience in. He does have experience in the, in the USL, I think. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't say. I can't say too much. I can't say too much. I don't want to get in trouble. But it'll be definitely it'll be it'll be good for the club, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It would be exciting to have Evan be good. Like like have a, a legit team well run. And I, I mean I think the Fath the owners of the club, the Fath brothers, they do a good job in terms of run the club well, they look after people, but I think it, that one position is very important to as we spoke about earlier, and it'd be great to have a, a good man in charge. And then obviously that leads to bringing in really good players. Yeah, I feel like we kind of need, because um, obviously Tom Fett doesn't soccer that well, you know? So I feel like in the, in the in the past, in the front office, we didn't have like soccer people. 
So we really need someone like as a coach that's really willing to take responsibility to be like, yeah, like this is how like a professional club should be run. And uh, kind of just, yeah, kind of just brings a, a football culture to the club. Cause I think we've been missing that for a lot of years, you know, even under Colin, it was, it was, it was there, obviously he's a football guy, but it was more, it was a more like grinding kind of like structure, you know, he didn't, like we need we need a new coach to be able to because the academy is a is a big thing with that cemetery right so a coach that's able to run the academy that's able to like nurture new talents you know and is, is able to kind of teach players also in the first team right so it's just a whole new culture and a whole new soccer soccer kind of culture is needed right so I think the next coach is going to be able to bring that yeah could yeah, we talk a little bit about uh, you know what are the, the the main things we want to talk about with the show was the idea of the brothers. And so both of you touch on your experiences playing together with each other and then playing against each other. Yeah. Um, so how's it? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, playing with each other, especially in 2019, was really nice. Like we played, I think, probably like 15, 16 games together on the same side, on the left side. And if you... If you look at it, like Borges was uh, the one of the top players, uh, one of the top wingers in the league. He played against us like probably like three, four times, and he wasn't able to do anything. Right on that side, defensively, we were always solid. We were able to combine well as well. So that that, that was fun. honestly like we never really talked about it. You know, we never really looked back to like how funny it was to play together. But yeah, no, I really really enjoyed it. I, I wish we could have done it also this year. But uh, and then this year, I don't think we played against each other. We played one game against each other, but I don't think I got subbed off. You got subbed off and I got subbed in here. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever played against each other? Like, you know, at a competitive level? I don't uh, think. Not, no, not I can't recall, honestly. I don't think so. We'll have to set that up. <laughs> well, hopefully next year. Hopefully next year. Yeah. And now, now it's going to be fun because obviously we both play center mid, so... You know, yeah. being able to tackle each other would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you th- What are your thoughts, Bruno? Uh, I think I think it would be a good battle. Um, um, for me, I'm hoping that Empton is more competitive uh, next year for the fans, for the yeah, rivalry. Because uh, <laughs> obviously, obviously, uh, uh, as a as a Calgary player, and then for Calgary fans. Who are having a lot, a lot of joy right now against Edmonton, and it's great. We can banter all we want, but rivalries get even better when um, it's more competitive. So um, I'm still obviously hoping that we win every single game when we play against Edmonton, but I do hope that games become more competitive and the fans become more feisty with one another. So uh, I look forward to playing them next year. Hopefully, Alan's playing for Edmonton, I'm playing for Calgary, and then we uh, we're in a situation where we get to play against each other for. Uh, a good period. Okay, great. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to touch on, Dave? I just have one last question for them and then hit the road. Uh, well, you go ahead, Jake. If you have something else, you can go first. No, no, you go. You go ahead. Jump in. Uh, so my last question for both of you guys, uh, doesn't matter who goes first. I guess age before beauty. So, Alan, uh, you can go. Uh, so, is there anything that you would like to share in terms of a kind of crazy stories that you've had along the years? I know I'm putting you on the spot there, or B, an answer, an easier question. Just give us something to pass along to the youth, uh, like 
as a professional player, as someone who grew up and had a lot of trials, but didn't have necessarily all, all the success they wanted, what's kind of the lasting message that you would give to the kids and the kids that you guys train or that you train with TWP? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's just work hard. Just work hard no matter what. Don't, don't, like, always try to stay motivated. Uh, you can, like I said before, there's always, there's more failures and success in this game. So you have to stay strong mentally. But at the end of the day, like, people say it all the time, but hard work beats talent all the time, right? So just see, even if you're not successful at anything, at a, at a trial or maybe at a game, just, you know, wake up the next day. Like, it's not the end of the world. As long as you work hard, you know, you'll, you'll find a way to be successful, you know? Um, yeah, like, growing up, like, I wasn't the most talented kid. You know, there was so many players better than me. But the, the what made a difference and what – what took me here is just because I work hard. That's all. It, that's that's all it is. Work hard and try to take care of everybody off the field. You know, don't follow the crowd. Just just try to be as professional as possible. Just try to do do your research. You know, like ask questions to people that that that, that have been there before, and um, try to mimic them. You know, and try to just yeah, just try to educate yourself as much as possible and just work hard. That's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's a bit of the same, and I think. Um, me and Alan are very similar in that in that sense. Um, it's uh, it's about attitude. Even um, when I when I coach my kids, I tell them every time like um, here we gotta we gotta make sure that we work hard and we compete because compete uh, is a big big word for me. You gotta be ready to compete every day, training games because uh, training is related to games. So if you don't do it in training, there's no way you can do it in games. So um, you gotta make sure you have the right attitude. You gotta make sure you're willing to work hard. And then obviously the talent is a big, a big part of it. You got to make sure that you have some ability <laughs> because if you have any ability, you'll never make it. But uh, if the ability is there, you got to match it with, uh, with the drive and um, uh, the attitude. And then if you have all of that, then um, you should be pretty good to go. And then the last thing is that you got to try and understand the game as much as possible. The more you understand the game, the, become, the easier it becomes for you. Great message. I think a lot of kids don't watch enough games. I think that's <laughs> not at all. Not enough. Like, it, you guys are crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> I'll play FIFA, which I, I actually think FIFA is a good learning tool. Uh, I'm a big fan yeah. of it. You learn about the leagues, you learn about you don't learn about the necessarily the tactics of the game totally, yeah. but you get a you become Concept. a fan. Concept, yeah. But the watching matches on a Saturday morning, you really can't yeah. replicate. Nowadays, especially with social media, they just watch highlights, you know, skills, and then the things that's said, you know? I hate those uh, kids. The kids are just yeah. trying to step over. It's like, guy, come on. You can't even do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, just one, one last quick question. Who's the better Zebby? <laughs> that's, that's an answer you'll never get, man. Yeah, you'll never get that. <laughs> we are oh. different qualities, different qualities. You know, I would say I'm a bit, maybe a bit more defensive. You know, he's more offensive than me, but we still kind of play the same role. So I don't know. Depends what you like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very non-committal. Very <laughs> yeah. legal brothers. You know. <laughs> and my sister, you know, we'd both be explaining why we're the better one. Nate, you know, obviously is the greatest sibling of his other family. But. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, any any good Jake Keegan stories that we have? Oh, oh boy, Jake Keegan stories. I don't know. Jake's pretty 
you're a pretty quiet guy. Like you don't you don't have any you don't have any crazy story that I can remember. I know that's why we need to try to find some. For me, for me, for me the, the the funny thing I find fast because every morning I would show up, locker room, um, oh, there's yeah, no yeah. life into it, no life, no one's really smiling, anything like that, and then I hear a whisper. Go back to U of A. Every every morning for about three weeks. Every Honestly, that, it, it felt like the Walking Dead that locker room towards the end yeah. of the season. It was, it was it was so divided. It was so bad. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, I've never seen that. Yeah, I've played eight years now professionally. Four mm-hmm. years in college, high school youth. That was by far the worst dressing room. I've ever been a part of, and it's not even close. And it's, really, and it's huh? probably the, yeah. it's also probably the least successful team I was on too. So I think there's definitely yeah. a correlation. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Give Hopefully, us- in 2021, all three of you are in much much happier uh, dressing rooms wherever wherever you may end up. Oh, I was good, so I'm happy. I had a good dressing room this year and last year too. Actually, <laughs> I know. I'm hoping again next year too, Bruno. Yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> yeah Jake, are you anything else or no just thanks so much for coming on guys i know we're, we're a new podcast so we're so we're learning a bit how to learn the ropes but it's great having you guys on uh two guys i really respected playing with edmonton uh both alongside you alan and then bruno you as mostly a training player but i really <laughs> i always i loved honestly i loved playing with bruno um when we did like small side like seven on seven because he would yeah. that and all the other experienced guys who were quote unquote better players, big sign, they fucking take the piss. So uh, <laughs> I loved how Bruo and Alan on, on my team in the, in the small side at Edmonton for sure. So always winning, man. Always winning. But <laughs> coming on, guys. Really. So that was a great interview. I really, really enjoyed uh, having uh, both Alan and Bruno on, on the podcast. Uh, what did you think about it, Jake? It was an awesome interview. I can't thank them enough. They had so many great, so much great insight, and I, you can really tell how passionate they are—not about their own, not only about their own games, but also about coaching the youth. That's the biggest thing I took from it. And I think we might have a couple coaches, maybe on at high levels, maybe the professional level down the line. Especially Bruno, he seems to have that itch to coach, doesn't he? He wants to, he wants to run his team, and he wants to go through and make his own tactics, and he and he he definitely has that passion. I, I think Alan has a great passion for. For the youth player and i think that could be his niche going forward yeah that's that's definitely something i also picked up on it from you know you you obviously know them i you know this is the first time i've gotten to really interact with them and and definitely picking up on the coaching and also the intensity and the level of uh professionalism that both seem like they're very uh dedicated very serious pros and uh you know, Allen had a, had a very strong year as far as his, his individual performance came in, game out, it, even though Edmonton, uh, you know, didn't have the best year as a team. And, you know, Bruno had a little harder time. You know, he definitely still had a good year. Uh, but I would expect that both both of them would, will be playing uh, with one of the clubs in the Canadian League uh, next year. And, if not there, maybe perhaps somewhere else. Both both talented players, good, uh, strong, serious players, good professionals, and uh, just you know, seem like good guys to have on your team wherever you're. You know, 
you are, whether you're in Canada or in Europe or here in the U.S., and I uh, would love to see more of them. Yeah, both of them are definitely those glue guys to a, to a locker room. Guys that can play a lot of positions, good character, good mentality, and I think every team needs players like Allen and Bruno. Uh, so I definitely think they'll be back. I, I would expect Bruno to be back in, in Cavalry. Uh, they had a good year this year, and I think he's an important play for, player for them, even though he doesn't start necessarily week in, week out. Uh, just from my, what I've watched, he was a very important player from them, for them. And then Allen, uh, I mean, he's, he was one of Edmonton's main players. I mean, always when you have a new coach coming in, as we've seen in the past in our, in our journey together, uh, you never know what that new coach will want in players. You don't, you don't know if he has a guy in your position that he already really likes, kind of from where he's been before. But I expect Allen to be back in Edmonton as well, as well and hopefully they can – get that they can finally be on the field at the same time and playing against each other as brothers that'd be yeah, interesting yeah. i think we, i think we might see that this year definitely uh alan you know being and, and both of them actually being that they like you said that they play they can play multiple positions that just makes them a little more versatile and increases those chances so even if they bring somebody in you know they might just move out into a different position or wherever and and, and bring it back so uh, you know, I think there's a lot of soccer ahead for both of those guys. Looking forward to see where they go. Yeah. The one interesting part about the Canadian League is a lot of the players were on, like, one-plus-ones or two-year contracts. And being that this was the second year, there will be a lot of player movement, I would expect. Uh, similar to how in USL League One, being the second year in USL League One, there's a lot of guys on that one-plus-one. So the, the player movement will be an interesting kind of thing to watch uh, during this off season and see where a lot of the top players end up already seeing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. A lot of guys going on trials from, from that league, a lot of guys coming in as well. Clubs already announcing signings for 2021. And here we yeah. are in the beginning of October. <laughs> I, I, so it's, York, York nine signed a striker. I saw was he German or something. I, I saw something that on, like that. Yeah. I, you know, I just saw it quickly, but you know, definitely that, those clubs are, are moving forward and um, you know, it's, it's exciting to see the opportunities that they're getting for the players in that league with, with clubs in Europe, they seem to, to really get it as far as the bigger picture, the bigger sense of uh, you know, what you, you touched on in the interview, as far as being a feeder league, mm-hmm. uh, moving players, selling players, contracts, uh, you know, the business side of football, how it works. And, you know, it's something I think we could, definitely use a little bit more of here in the states yeah yeah i i I think we try to do it i don't i don't know if we always do it perfectly well but i I think it's just the structure of mls is is one that the ml the the league owns the players versus the club owning the players and i think that definitely contributes to the the sell-on of those players to european clubs but uh, i i do think that North American soccer is so much better off than it was 15 years ago. So we're, we're going in the right direction. There's a lot of things that can be improved as when things are growing things, you need to change things, but I'm excited about the future of both Canadian and, and American soccer as well. Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. So Jake, I think we've done enough for this week and we're going to get ready for, for our next interview for next week. Uh, but thanks so much again for taking the time to do this. I'm having a great time. Hope you are as well. Yeah, this has been awesome, Dave. I'm, I'm loving just listening to the people's individual stories. It's, it's so cool getting hearing background, hearing things that I've, I've played with Alan for two years. I've learned some things today I didn't know about him before. So 
It's been a lot of fun for me. We want to make sure everybody knows to follow us on Twitter at Aristocrats Sock, S-O-C, minus the uh, C-E-R. But, you know, one day when Twitter adds on, we can add on to the 15 characters. And then Aristocrats, at Aristocrats Soccer on, on Instagram. And we are getting more followers. And also, uh, now that we're on, you know, the podcast is out there on uh, Apple Podcasts. If you can go on and leave us a review, five-star review, uh, that would help a lot. Uh, so anybody out there that's listening, anybody, anybody, is anybody out listening, please leave us, <laughs> follow us, leave us reviews, support the podcast, share it uh, with your friends, your family, your loved ones, your neighbors, your pets, or anybody else that will glad to listen. <laughs> Everybody like, subscribe, whatever, whatever they say. I know that's YouTube, but leave us a leave us a good comment. Leave us a good uh, review if you can. Uh, but I guess that's it for this week. We'll see you guys next week probably. We'll we'll see who we have in the pipeline for interviews. But until then, I'm the athlete. I'm the advocate. And we are, we are the, the aristocrats. <laughs>